Before we move to our sermon, I want to remind you that this, we have many, many copies of Gentle and Lowly available for you. So please grab one for every person in your family on your way out today. If you haven't received one yet, it's excellent. You will love it. I promise it will um, help you through the scriptures um, see and know the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers like you. So please um, take advantage of that. I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 7. Now, this is not exactly what I had planned for us uh, until about midweek. I was planning to start our series on Ephesians today. But after thinking last week about the welcome of Jesus for us and our welcoming others as he has welcomed us, as we talked about last Sunday, I just couldn't get away from that concept of of Jesus and welcome. And I kept coming back to this passage in Luke chapter 7, one that I think you'll find is familiar, but... um, is fascinating. So I wanted to take one more week and, and just look at this angle of welcome and Jesus. And I want you to notice as I read this passage and then as we walk through it together, notice who is and isn't being welcomed. Who is and isn't being shown hospitality in this account? Um, So, if you would stand with me, I will read for us Luke 7, 36 through 50. Here, listen, listen with your heart to the word of the God who loves you. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, 
for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Father, (laughs) we thank you for your word. We thank you for prompting Luke by your spirit to research and interview the people that he did, the, the eyewitnesses that he talked to, to record all of these moments, these events in the life of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for having him uh, record this one for us. He's the only one who tells this story of the four Gospels. And so thank you for it. It's beautiful. It's beautifully told, and it makes Jesus beautiful. Would you help me, help us to see his beauty in, in this short story about him? Um, would you prick our hearts today? And... Uh, I'm not sure what you would have to say to each one of us. Maybe something different. Uh, and that's the beauty of how your word works. You, you can tell one story and speak in so many different ways to where each of us are. Would you do that this morning? But help us see Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. Here's what I'd like to do. If you'll just give me the honor, the privilege of just walking through this story. Let's just walk through it together. And then I'll make some observations along the way. Try to help us understand a little bit of the context and the color of what's happening. Um, And then at the end, I just want to make a couple of observations and, and ask that. God would make them for us. So, let's do this and and let's look at let's look at Jesus. So verse 36, follow along with me. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. We sometimes assume we know who these guys are, the Pharisees. They were a fraternal order of religious 
leaders in Israel of the day. Um, we, from our experience, tend to think they were the bad guys and with some good reason. But people in those days honored and revered the Pharisees. They were the most serious among the people about holiness and about God's law and about the resurrection to come. They, they wanted to see the Messiah come and their, their desire was to help prepare Israel for the Messiah to come. And so they were concerned about righteousness. You would want a Pharisee to be your next door neighbor because they're holy people. So let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. This one's name is Simon. And I, I'm curious why we know his name and not the woman's name, but maybe, perhaps, Simon became a member of the Christian community later. Maybe it's because Luke, who did interview people for his book, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't an eyewitness to all these events. Perhaps Simon himself told Luke this story. I don't know. But Simon asked Jesus to come and eat with him. And this is happening in Galilee. Jesus had been going through Galilee preaching. And one of the messages that Jesus had been preaching was the one that we read from Matthew 11 earlier today. Um, Because if you go to Matthew and you read Matthew, you'll see the parallel passage here. Jesus was preaching, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My heart is gentle and lowly. And then Matthew goes on, and Matthew doesn't tell this story, but in that same sequence of time, in that same area of ministry in Galilee where Jesus was, this story happened. I say that because it makes me wonder whether this woman heard him preach that sermon, Come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, Jesus goes to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at table. Why why mention reclining at table? The Jews usually sat up at high tables and ate, and the Greeks reclined at the table, but the Jews had begun to take on for special occasions, for special feasts, this practice of reclining at the table. Um, The the table was called a triclinium, and it was a U-shaped table that sat low to the ground, And all the men who would eat at that table would lean their left arm on a small little couch or cushion uh, and lean there with their feet away from the table so that they could then eat with their right hand. And so it would kind of look like a, a hub with spokes going out from it. And the spokes were the legs of, of all the men around the table. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house. He was a a special guest of the Pharisee. The Pharisee called him uh, teacher. He was, I don't know, maybe he was the celebrity teacher in town, and so the Pharisee thought he would invite him. Uh, Another reason he was inviting him probably was he was investigating to see if this Jesus was the great prophet that people were saying he was. Because not long before this event, Jesus had raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead, right during the middle of a funeral procession, 
raised him from the dead, and the people began to say, a great prophet is among us. So perhaps Simon is wanting to find out who is this great prophet because there are prophecies that there would be a great prophet to come and then the Messiah as well. So he wanted to investigate who is this Jesus. Verse 37, and behold, that word behold, we kind of go, yeah, that's just one of those old Bible, Bible language words. But it actually means and, and you should, I should have read it earlier with some more emphasis, but it means, look, look, a woman of the city who is a sinner walked into the, to the room. Now, why would she be allowed to be there? Because, as was the custom, in a feast like that, they would allow uh, the poor um, and the servants, uh, the public, to come and stand around the walls and watch and listen in on what was happening during the feast. But then, after the feast was over, they would allow them to get the scraps. So, it's, on one hand, it's not unusual for this woman to be there. She was taking advantage of the cultural um, climate of poor people showing up to a rich person's dinner. But there was something about this woman. She was known in the city, but she was known as a sinner. Most likely, she was known as an adulteress of some sort, whether a professional prostitute, we don't know. Uh, certainly, probably some sort of homewrecker, as they may have called them in those days. But she had a reputation. So it was not only uh, the look was not just, hey, there's a woman of the city in the room. It's that woman is in the room. And why is she there? Because she had learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. Commentators believe that what this is saying is she had learned it because she was asking for him. Where where is the guest preacher? Where's the visiting preacher? He is at the Pharisee's house reclining at table. He's having dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And so she came. She was looking for him. And she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Some believe that that alabaster flask of ointment, women would hang it around their necks because bathing was, was not as uh, effective in those days as it is for us. And so uh, if a woman wanted to be able to smell nice, she could have the alabaster flask of ointment hanging around her neck and kind of dab a little here and there when she needed to to freshen herself. And so she had this alabaster flask of perfumed ointment. And so she comes into the room. Jesus is standing, uh, reclining there with his feet sticking out like everyone else's. They would have taken their sandals off. And she's standing at his feet, weeping. So imagine you're one of the people at the table with Jesus. And you see this whole scene going on. First of all, this celebrity preacher is here. He's very interesting. He's supposedly raised someone from the dead. I'm very interested in what he's doing, what he's going to say. I'm watching Simon and the way he's interacting with this, with this other rabbi teacher. But this woman comes in. And she's not just standing idly by on the side waiting to get the scraps. 
She's standing specifically behind the celebrity preacher by his feet, and she starts bawling hysterically. This is starting to get weird here. What, what is going on? And what is, what is Simon going to do? What is Jesus going to do? What am I going to do? What is this woman going to do next? She's weeping so much that her tears begin to wet his feet. Think about how many tears it would take to wet the feet of Jesus. How long does this go on? I don't know. But it had to have gone on long enough for his feet to get wet from her tears. So, that, oh no, what is she going to do? How, what is she? She's, she's wet the teacher's feet. How is she going to clean this mess up? I, I, I don't know. So she, she wipes his feet with her hair, which would require her to do something that no respectable woman would do in public. No, most unrespectable women wouldn't do it in public. She let down her hair. In those days, in that culture, a woman would only let down her hair for her husband. And she let down her hair, began to wipe her own tears on his feet. And not only that, she began to kiss his feet. And the word is to repeatedly kiss and kiss and kiss his feet. And then she takes that flask of perfumed ointment and begins to anoint his feet with them, to pour it on there. Such intimacy with this man. Such honor she gives him. Such boldness. You don't see her interacting with anyone else. She goes straight to Jesus and seems to have no care for what anyone else thinks as she wets and wipes and kisses and anoints his feet. What a scene. 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I've got my evidence. There's no way this man is a prophet. This, there's no way he's a holy man to let a woman like this touch him. He would have known who she is and would have certainly refused her touch, refused her offers, certainly would have been embarrassed to be uh, seen with her. But how does she know him anyway? I wonder what kind of history they have. Certainly this man is not a prophet. He's not a holy person. Now we're not told that Jesus read his mind. He, he could. That's not beyond his ability. It just says that Jesus answered 
the thoughts that Simon had muttered to himself. So either Jesus read his mind and his heart, maybe heard what he said. Eh, I don't know. With all the crying, it might have been difficult to hear. But at the very least, Jesus knew the heart of Simon and knows the heart of every human so well to expect this is probably what Simon was thinking. He could probably see it on his face. See him kind of muttering to himself. And so Jesus doesn't rebuke Simon for what he said. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, I'll show you who's a prophet. He he doesn't get into some sort of uh, debate in the comments here. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And that was an idiom, a a Jewish way of saying, I want to teach you something. Simon says, say it, teacher. Here's the celebrity teacher in town. Let's see what he would like to teach us in this moment. See what this so-called prophet has to say. And Jesus tells him a parable. Jesus says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarius was a, a day's wages for a common laborer. So one owed him 500 days wages, and the other owed him 50. When they could not pay, so neither of them could pay the debt, he canceled the debt of both. And that word cancel has the idea of it's a gracious canceling of the debt. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon is no dummy. He's figured it out. He says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. I mean, that makes sense. It's common sense. The larger the debt, the more you're going to appreciate the one who forgave the debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Now this, Simon, you've judged rightly. So far you've not judged me or this woman rightly, but you got this one right. And then he turns away from Simon and turns his face toward the woman who I'm assuming is still weeping and wiping and kissing and anointing. And he asked Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, you who see so clearly, (laughs) do you see her? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So he he shows Simon the part of the parable that says one loved more than the other. He's exposing him and he says, he says, she has loved me more than you, Simon. 
You haven't even given me the common courtesy of hospitality when I entered. This is your house, Simon. And you didn't provide water for my feet to be washed. You didn't give me the customary kiss of greeting on the cheek. You didn't give me olive oil, which every household had olive oil to, it was kind of like the, the soap of the day or in our day today, it was like, can I offer you some hand sanitizer? Um, it, olive oil was just a common courtesy uh, for folks to freshen up a little bit if they were coming over to visit. You didn't give me the oil. She's anointing my feet with something more valuable. Therefore, Simon, I'm telling you, here's here's what I'm trying to tell you. Her sins, which are many. Simon, you got that right. She's a sinner. And she has many, many sins. Her sins, which are many, though, they're forgiven. For she loved much. And, And Jesus is not saying here, She's forgiven because she loved much. He's making it clear she's loving much because she's forgiven. He who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are, they have been and are forgiven. And then those who are at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And friends, that's the right question to ask. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? And the parable answers the question for us. (coughs) In the parable, the woman is the one who had the greater debt and therefore when it was forgiven, had the greater love. Simon is the one who had a lesser debt and when it was forgiven, had lesser love. When Simon heard what Jesus was saying with, you know, she has loved much, you have loved little, that was, there had to be a little bit of a punch to the gut. Like, oh, you're saying that I didn't love you. You're saying that I didn't honor you. You're saying that I didn't welcome you. Now, Simon would have agreed that he had fewer sins than the woman. But I think what Jesus was trying to say to him was, the way you have treated me shows that you think you have fewer sins than you do. If you knew how sinful you were, Simon, you would be as extravagant as she is. So the woman is the one with the greater debt. Simon is the one with the lesser debt. So who is Jesus in the parable? He's the money lender. Jesus is the money lender. He's the one to whom the debt is owed. He's the one who has been sinned against. He's the one who has been taken from. He's the one who is owed. And Jesus as the moneylender, is the only one who could cancel or forgive the debt. Because Jesus said in the parable, neither of them could pay, whether the debt was small 
or big. Neither of them had the ability to pay it. So only the moneylender could be the one to cancel and forgive the debt for them. And Jesus, in doing this and saying this parable and then applying it to this situation, is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the one who owns everything. He's claiming to be the one to whom we owe everything. He's claiming to be the one who forgives everything. He's claiming to be the one who should be loved. He's claiming to be the one who should be loved by being thanked, by being worshipped, by being welcomed. Because what she was doing was welcoming Jesus. We think a lot about Jesus welcoming us and us welcoming others as he has welcomed us. But what this woman shows us is that we should welcome Jesus because he has welcomed us. Jesus is claiming to be the God who forgives And how was it that Yahweh, how was it that God forgave? If, as Paul said later, the wages of sin is death, the payment for sin that is required is death, is the lifeblood of a substitute sacrifice, then the way God forgave sin was he himself provided that sacrifice. He himself provided that lifeblood He took the initiative. He made the provision. He absorbed the debt by making the payment for sinners. That's how it worked in the Old Testament. If you were to be forgiven by God, he was going to have to provide the price so that you might be forgiven because no one could ever pay like these two could never pay. And so Jesus is saying here, I will provide the payment so that your debt can be canceled or forgiven. And it hasn't happened yet. This story is pointing us to what's coming at the cross. The reason Jesus could forgive the woman of her great debt or even Simon of his comparatively small debt of inhospitality to Jesus The only way that they could be forgiven is if God provided the payment that they owed. If God absorbed the debt himself, and that is what he was coming to do. So we see the shadow of the cross falling over this story, falling into that room that night. And we see the shadow of the cross even in the way Jesus is treating her in this moment. She comes in. This is a shameful thing she's doing. To burst into a room at a feast of these important people is shameful enough. But to make a fool of herself by blubbering all over the guests, the honored guests, letting down her hair, which was shameful to do in that culture, and, and doing all of this and kissing him, worshiping him, essentially. All of this was shameful. And Jesus shows a little shadow of the cross here because he enters into her shame with her by honoring her, by saying, look at this woman. 
She is welcoming me as I am worthy to be welcomed. She was responding to me because I have forgiven her sins. She's the only one in the room who is relating to God rightly right now. And by saying those things, by implying those things in the way he treated that woman in that moment, Jesus was heaping shame upon himself. Who is this who dares to even forgive sins? He's no prophet. So just a little taste of the way that Jesus will take on our shame at the cross. He's already giving a glimpse of that right now in this moment. And he tells the woman, your faith has saved you. Not your actions right here in this room, no. But the faith you had in whatever message you have heard me preach so far, your trust in me. When I said, come, all who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When you came to me as a sinner seeking forgiveness and you recognized that I was the one who had the power to cancel your debt, that saved your life. Now go in shalom. Go in peace. Go into wholeness of life. What a, what a beautiful story about our beautiful Jesus. And so I'm left, we're all left. We don't know what happened to Simon. We don't know how he responded. I think Jesus was offering him an opportunity to respond the way the woman did. We don't know if he ever did. Maybe the fact that we have this story means that at some point he did. I don't know. But I want to ask me and ask you as I, as I wrap it up here, as we think about these two responses, Simon and the woman, what do you resonate with? Perhaps some of you, and oftentimes me, are like Simon Simon was cynical. Someone has said to be cynical means to, that a cynical person sees through everything. You know, he saw through this woman. She's a sinner. We, I know what she's really like. He thinks he sees through to her heart. He saw through Jesus. Oh, he's not really the great prophet. He's cynical. He, he's seeing through She's a sinner, and he has nothing to offer. He's nothing special. But in the process, he doesn't see himself. (laughs) He can't see through his own self-righteousness to know his own heart and his own need for forgiveness. He's self-righteous. He thinks he doesn't have much to be forgiven. That's why he doesn't respond to Jesus like she does. Perhaps... You and I are sometimes like Simon. We're cynical, we're self-righteous, and we show no love for him. I look at Simon and I look at me and I think, where's the, where's the overwhelming gratitude in my life for what Jesus is, is and 
has done for me, is to me and has done for me. Where is the, where is the worship? Simon gave Jesus a welcome. He invited him to the house. But it was shallow. He welcomed Simon, uh, Jesus in some way into his home, but not into his heart. And I'm so much like that so many times. Jesus, you can come in and you can sit on the periphery. And, you know, I'm sort of letting you in here. But I'm not going to be too extravagant with my welcome. Some of us are going to relate to Simon today. And if you do, Jesus says to you, come to me. I'll forgive you for being like Simon. Your debt is greater than you think it is. And I love you. And I'll forgive you. But you've got to come. You've got to trust me. And some of you are like the woman. You know you're a sinner. <laughs> you know it and you, you can't get away from it. It goes everywhere you go. It haunts you. It keeps you up at night. But you also know you're forgiven. You have heard Jesus say, my life for yours. I'm entering into your shame. And you know you know his forgiveness. What I thought was fascinating about the woman was she knew she was a sinner. She knew that she was forgiven, but she wanted more. You see, she had the option. Once she had heard Jesus preach forgiveness and she trusted and believed that she had it, which clearly she came here already knowing she was forgiven, She's responding to that forgiveness. She could have, having heard the gospel, believed that she was forgiven, gone along her merry way. Just, okay, I got, I got forgiveness. This is what I needed. But she didn't because she wanted something else. She wanted Jesus. Because it's the forgiveness is a means to the end. The end is him. The forgiveness is removing the barrier that comes between us and him. And maybe some of you are like that this morning. You know you're a sinner. You know you're a forgiven sinner. But you realize that you just, you want more than forgiveness. You want more than the work that Jesus has done for you. You want Jesus. That's where I am. I, I, I just want Jesus. Father, would you... Uh, would you give us that woman's heart? Right now, today, I have a little bit of it. Tomorrow, I might be more Simon again. 
But thank you for the promise that those of us who are laboring and heavy, heavy burdened, those of us who keep falling back into Simon's ways, um, can always run to your open arms. Thank you that this table is proof that your arms are always open for people who are hungry for Jesus. So thank you for this time. Thank you for that, that story. Give us hearts that are unashamed to welcome Jesus all the way in. It's in his name we pray. Amen.